Dirty old plants left over from the Edwardian wilderness who just can't understand why the sun isn't shining anymore. Grudgingly, though, he admits that in retrospect, the Edwardians had made their world look pretty appealing. Two decades previously, the historian George Dangerfield, in his seminal study The Strange Death of Liberal England, 1935, had exploded the myth of Edwardian stability and progress, revealing an England marked by three major upheavals. The rearguard battle conducted by the Tory party and their Ulster Unionist allies against the reforms, including Irish home rule and a rudimentary welfare state, introduced by Asquith's Liberal government, the struggle for votes for women, led by the Pankhurst family, and the strife and strikes racking industry, led by militant trade unionists. These convulsions had combined in a perfect storm of unrest, which had only been halted by the greater tempest of the war in 1914. In this book, I have tried to present a picture of the nation as it was on the eve of war, concentrating on the figures and developments which historians, aided by the remarkable wisdom of hindsight, have deemed to be outstanding. Like Dangerfield, I have given due weight to the major political and social issues of the year, the Ulster crisis, the suffragettes, and the growing fears of European war. But I have also highlighted some of the undercurrents that, little noticed at the time, have since come to characterize our view of that year from the perspective of the past century. I have looked in some detail at the artists of the age, the poets, painters, and sculptors, whose self-conscious modernism threatened to blow away the cosy certainties of an era already outmoded before the first guns of August had spoken, and whose work foreshadowed and prophesied the disasters that lay in wait just around the corner. What was it really like, the England of 1914? An orderly garden party about to be interrupted by a devastating thunderclap and cloudburst? or a seething mass of unresolved conflicts and contradictions racing towards inevitable destruction. The evidence of cold-hard statistics suggests the latter. Contrary to the sepia images of lazy country house weekends out of a population of just over 46 million, the vast majority of British people belonged to the impoverished working class, living cheek by jowl in huddled poverty in the cities or eking out a bare existence on the sufferance of their landlords in a countryside where most land was privately owned and jealously guarded. As summer came into full bloom at the beginning of August 1914, the last weekend of the old world was crowded with sporting fixtures. Fashionable race-goers gathered at Goodwood on the Sussex Downs. Yachtsmen raced their craft on the Solent, in preparation for the cow's regatta. At Canterbury and Hove, Kent and Sussex were playing at home. Watching Sussex play Yorkshire at Sussex's hallowed county ground in Hove was the future playwright and novelist Patrick Hamilton, whose prep school overlooked the ground. The home side were doing well. The previous day, Joe Vine and Valance Jupp had enjoyed an unbroken second-wicket partnership of 250 runs, then, just after 3 p.m., the spectators heard the blare of martial music. A file of khaki-clad soldiers appeared, preceded by a marching band. Ignoring the match, 
the troops strode across the greensward and onto the pitch itself, where they turned and wheeled in formation to the bellowed commands of a regimental sergeant-major. The cricketers stood around, gaping, unable to comprehend that the gentle activities of an England at peace were being brutally shoved aside. In his novel The West Pier, 1952, Hamilton noted, This entirely unnecessary, gratuitous and largely bestial assault upon the players, curiously akin in atmosphere to the smashing up of a small store by the henchman of a gangster, beyond doubt ended in the victory of the aggressor, though at the time of its happening very few people present were able vividly or exactly to understand what was taking place. We inhaled unconsciously the distant aroma of universal evil. As the shadows lengthened across the county ground,